You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Feels like an ominous week already. And I know it's just starting. It's Monday. Feels like things are going to go pretty badly for the country. I, I hope that's not true. I hope that's wrong. But how could you not feel that given we're expecting a verdict here in the Chauvin trial and the city of Minneapolis and many other cities are preparing for really bad unrest will be the, the term they use. Riots is the actual term. Uh, but who knows the effect that this also is going to have on not only our politics, but on the economy and what's going to happen with the Biden administration approach to a whole range of issues that could affect you, could affect employment, could affect the dollars you have in your bank account, too, given all the inflation that might kick in. So that's why I want you to be prepared. Did you know that gold and silver, actual gold and silver, can be delivered to your door or placed directly in your IRA or 401k, tax-free and penalty-free? That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or in your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold their value, especially when markets decline or fail. And during times of extreme unrest, dare I say, you want to be prepared. Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals, offering gold and silver at the lowest prices on the market. It's a company that I trust. It's who I get my gold and silver from. They've got it into my hands, but you could also get it in your IRA. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and request your free precious metals investment guide. 833-600-GOLD and speak with the Oxford Gold Group today. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. Oxford Gold, 833-600-GOLD, 833-600-GOLD. You can feel the tension in the country right now. There's no question about it. You had... Closing arguments today in the Derek Chauvin trial. Everyone understands what's at stake right now, what's likely to happen, depending on how all of this goes. And even still, if you get a guilty verdict, there may be riots. If you get a not guilty verdict, there will almost certainly be riots. Isn't it a sad state of affairs as a country that entire cities have to prepare for a, a hurricane of outrage based upon one trial of one individual in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have to be concerned about what's going to happen in my neighborhood here in New York. You, wherever you are across the country, in cities, even in towns now, there, has been, uh, there have been a series of BLM protests slash riots in places that you never would have expected before last summer, and it very well could happen again. If you look at the crime data for where law enforcement feels like they've been put on their back feet, where there are fewer arrests being made and where violence has been going up, it's across the country. It's not just the major cities. It's not just the Democrat en enclaves. You can't think to yourself, well, I live in a I live in a red area or I live in a place where Second Amendment rights still count. So I don't have to worry about this. You never know. Did anybody believe that Kenosha, Wisconsin, would be the site of extreme riots and, dare I say, unrest. We have to find a better term. We've got riots, which is more applicable. Unrest feels sanitized to me. I don't like calling these things unrest. I will say it sometimes just because it's in our lexicon and we don't have that many terms for this. Anarchy, mayhem, those are better words. 
Those are more descriptive of what's really going on. But isn't it sad that there is already, you, you can feel it, there is an acceptance of the almost inevitability here of riots. And what about the people who are harmed by this? What about the individuals who will lose their livelihoods, their stores, perhaps be attacked themselves physically? What about the law enforcement officers who serve their communities with with honor and integrity and courage who are going to have rocks thrown at their faces, bottles of urine splashed all over them? What about them? Oh, no. Do you think that there will be a focus on them? Do you think that there will be honest coverage from the media? Our media are cheering on the arsonists literally now. That's what actually happens. And it's not just the media. It's the Democrat Party at the very top. They excuse it. There should be a disdain. There should be a loathing of riots. People should be embarrassed that there was a riot in their town, in their city, and in any way connected to their political ideology or their party. BLM should have to say immediately, we have no part in riots. We condemn it unequivocally. It's wrong. But no, they use terms like resistance or rebellion as if they're fighting, you know, the British monarch in 1776 all over again. This is not a rebellion. This is destruction. This is rage. I hope it does not happen. I, I hope it doesn't occur. But we all know that it's expected and it will be excused. They are setting the groundwork for it right now. This was from over over the uh, over the weekend. You could see, you know, 60, 60 minutes had a piece. Producer Mark, if we, if we have this one, let me know. 60 minutes uh, did, did, a, did a commercial to let you know what they're covering. We're going into a week here where it's expected BLM and Antifa will burn whole city blocks to the ground, most likely. That's the expectation. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Maybe it doesn't happen. But if you were a betting man or woman, what do you think you would place your wager on? What do you think you would do? Here's what 60 Minutes said on or Here's what they were covering on Sunday. I want you to listen very closely as we're preparing for anarchy, riots, destruction, mayhem. America's most storied news program. The journos want to tell you about this. Play it. They have chapters all across America and were at the center of the attack on the Capitol. Who are the Oath Keepers? A large percentage have tactical training and operational experience in either the military or law enforcement. 60 Minutes. Yeah. The Oath Keepers. Everyone knows that the trial ends this week. Everyone knows that we could have a verdict in a matter of days. And 60 Minutes wants its audience, wants the American people, millions and millions of them who still unfortunately watch that garbage, to be afraid of the Oath Keepers. Uh, one thing I can tell you for damn certain is that it's not going to be the Oath Keepers who are burning down neighborhoods. I don't know about this group. I don't care about this group. The point is, they're not the ones who are going to be burning down city blocks if it happens. And we all know it. It will be people acting in the name of BLM and Antifa. It will be people who are ideologically of the left. And by the way, this has nothing to do. Are, are there bad people on the right? Of course. Are there bad groups on the right? Yeah. But the exaggeration of the equivalency of the threat to, to Main Street, to everyday communities from these groups right now is absurd. 
But you see, they're doing this for, for several reasons. One is, of course, any any panic porn about right wing militant groups in America, the, the liberal journos, they believe this nonsense. They think that there's another insurrection coming any moment. They act like we were just a hair's breadth away from losing our government and all this sort of stuff. But the truth is, there's more to it than just the getting getting ratings and, and pushing this story that scares people. There's also creating a sense. This is at the this is at the underlying level, creating a sense that, well, they have their militants on the right. So I guess we, the Democrat Party with BLM and Antifa, we have to have ours, too. So it's justified, you see. I mean, uh, yeah, we've got to we've got to say whatever we have to to defend the actions of the militant left because of this jury trial in Minnesota, uh, because otherwise we'll just be handing the country over to the Oath Keepers. As if that's a serious thing, as if that's a, this is not an accident. They, they plan these things out. They've known about the trial. 60 Minutes is covering that in, in the, they're covering it in this way because they're trying to shape perception right now. They're trying to let people on the left, they're trying to let Biden voters live in the delusion, because it is a delusion, that the real threat isn't from their side right now, it's from the other side. Sure, as I told you, find me a bet, find me the Vegas odds, and I will take them on how it will not be this week Oath Keepers. And this is not to you know, excuse or justify or... or Say, I don't even I don't even know what this group really believes. I just know that it's not going to be burning down a CVS, a Dwayne Reed, a Target, looting sneakers, stealing handbags. I know they're not going to be doing that this week. Maybe they'll do some bad thing some other time. Whatever. I don't care right now. I'm worried about the country. But they create the false equivalency because that's useful to them. And then they also stir up the outrage even further to get ratings, to virtue signal, to make sure that they, the journos, the Democrats, the establishment of the left, they aren't part of the problem here. So they will say things that are reckless, that are unfair, and that will only make this situation worse. Here is Chris Cuomo on CNN uh, play clip eight. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. it scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you! I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Smoking that doobie that's actually legal probably in your state now, but they don't know what it was. And then the kid runs and it pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, he had a baseball game tonight. Huh? White kid, oh, big family, that house over there. Those start piling up. What is going on with these police? Oh, what? Maybe we shouldn't even have police. That kind of mania, that kind of madness, that'll be you. That'll be the majority, because it's your people. See, now, black people start getting all guns, forming militias, protect themselves. Can't trust deep state. Woo-hoo. You'll see a wave of change. In access and accountability. We saw it in the 60s. That's when it changes. Chris Cuomo is a reckless moron. And what he's saying here is untrue. It's idiotic. 
and it's deeply irresponsible. But he works for CNN, which is really morally equivalent now to Pravda in the 1930s. I mean, CNN is a disgusting disgrace of not even journalism. It's not even a good propaganda outlet. They're not even good at it. The people that are saying this stuff aren't smart or talented. It's just a legacy institution that has been corrupted. Whatever it used to stand for in the 80s or 90s, it's always been liberal, but now it's just, it's just defiled it. What, white people aren't killed by cops, Chris Cuomo? You, you utter buffoon. This guy knows nothing about law enforcement. What he does know about is probably all the skirt chasing and grabbing that his brother, the governor of New York, was doing. I'm sure they chatted about that over the years quite a bit. Nothing about law enforcement, nothing about the truth of crime in cities and what, law, what cops are dealing with day in and day out and just racializes this issue in the most disgusting fashion. White people are killed by cops in larger numbers than any other group, by the way. So why is he saying that? Is, is that really what happens? Someone happens to be smoking a doobie and then cops just shoot them? Is that what happens? Show me an incident of that. Show me one. And then I'll say that Chris Cuomo is not a reckless moron. He is a reckless moron. But he panders. He panders to the cowardly libs who watch CNN in their overwhelmingly safe neighborhoods voting for Biden and crying about climate change and triple masking and thinking to themselves, oh, I stand in solidarity with BLM until they hear something in the alleyway nearby. And then you know what they do? They reach for the phone, they call the cops and they want them to arrive as quickly as possible. And if they don't, they'll write a letter to the mayor because they know somebody. I know you might be thinking, well, we can't expect any more from the disgusting, dishonest journos. I mean, they're always going to be grotesque in the way they approach these things, whatever benefits them while they pretend to be helping other people. Whatever benefits them is what they will do, whatever makes them feel good, whatever virtue signaling they can accomplish. OK. Let's go beyond that, then. What about political leadership? Do you think the Democrats right now, those who have a real national voice, are they really calling for calm and peaceful protest? I don't mean in a half-hearted way. Where's AOC? Why doesn't she do one of her gibberish Instagram lives where she's kind of babbling about whatever? Why doesn't she take a moment and say, hey, guys, look, peaceful protest is in the greatest traditions of America. Have your voices heard. Gather on the streets. But be respectful of law enforcement as you're doing so. Be respectful of your fellow citizens. Break no law because we lose moral clarity. When we do so, we lose any moral high ground we think we have. They could do that. Prominent Democrats could actually work against this possibility of riots and maybe maybe save a few dozen businesses, a few hundred livelihoods in the process. Maybe they could do that. And the message would still be heard. I have no problem, and I know neither do you, with people having their voices heard. If people are angry about policing and people want police reform, absolutely. In the public square, hold up your placards, talk about that, organize, vote for people that you think are going to do things like defund the police, which is idiotic, but you're, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. But why the riots? Why the mayhem? At some level, you have to see this for what it is. It's meant as intimidation. These people on the streets who are angry and who will have their actions justified by Democrat millionaires 
talking across the nation to people who overwhelmingly live on the east and west coast or perhaps in Chicago or a few other major cities and live in the fancy neighborhoods there, but they watch CNN, uh, they, they don't really care what happens in these places. It's all performance theater to them. It's all just whatever gets the attention for the cause in the moment. It's a hashtag, you see. It's BLM or putting a black square on your Instagram. That's what you know. these college graduates from the liberal arts education, learning nothing but critical race theory and a whole bunch of other garbage that only divides and destroys society. That's what this really turns into for them. It's not their store or neighborhood that's going to be ruined, so they don't really care. Maxine Waters is a member of Congress, a very well-known one, a congresswoman from uh, Los Angeles. And here is, here is her message. You should hear this. Her message to protesters in this particularly combustible moment. Here's what, here's what she says. Play 19. Not just manslaughter, right? I mean... Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. It's coming from what happens if we do not get, get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we mean business. Get more confrontational. Make sure they know we mean business. This is a, a longtime sitting member of Congress with a national platform. I mean, you've got people making downtown Minneapolis look like parts of the green zone. And I know because I spent quite some time in the green zone in Baghdad. And she's saying, let's up the ante. Let's go in even more on this. She even says it's murder one, which Chauvin isn't charged with. To give you a sense of her, her uh, ability to analyze this as a function of justice and, and decency and humanity, she thinks he should be charged even beyond the charges on the table. And by the way, only a moron actually thinks that this guy committed first-degree murder, premeditated or depraved heart murder. No, sorry. That would never... There's a reason why, even in this heated moment, the prosecutors didn't charge that. It's an overcharge, in my opinion. Now, this one is a little bit more of a, of a, of a debate, but to even go... To even have charged felony murder, murder too. The only real question here is, did Officer Chauvin, as a legal matter, commit manslaughter? And based on everything that I've seen and heard from the trial, it seems to me that there is certainly... Now, I'm not saying what Chauvin did was... In any, was I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it was okay. That video does look awful. But is there a reasonable doubt under the circumstances, given the cause of death and given the situation that led up to the uh, the prone hold on the street. Remember, it has to be beyond any reasonable doubt. That is the standard. And I do not believe the prosecution has met that standard. Meanwhile, Maxine Waters is out there basically giving a wink and a nod to the, to the would-be rioters out there saying, nothing's going to be enough. Because really, they didn't even charge how evil and awful this man is. This is our political class. These are our journalists out there, folks. And they are egging on the mayhem and the destruction before it even starts.
I've been warning you about the forever lockdown for a while here. Forever mask mandates. You're getting more and more indications that there are some people who are pushing for it. Mask forever. What's the what's the big deal? Wear a mask forever. You can't go outside without a mask. You can never breathe normally again in public. That's what some people want for you. That's really the future that they're they're advocating for. Because they're lunatics. But there's a lot of, oh, why don't you take the virus seriously, Buck? I take it very seriously. I had the virus. I, I take it quite seriously. I'm just not crazy. Um, but you got to be prepared to do a lot of your own uh, cooking in some of these places going forward. And cooking is a good thing to do regardless. I, re- I actually really enjoy it. I think it's fun. And, and you want to have the best product possible on hand. So you've got to try Moink, okay? Moink is an amazing company that brings to you grass-finished beef, grass-fed, pasteurized pork. They've got amazing chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon. Over the weekend, I did my first full chicken, courtesy of Moink. So I keep it in the freezer. It's so convenient. I thawed it out, and then I just made a pretty straightforward recipe, and I'll put this up for everyone to see on social media soon, where I roasted a whole chicken from Moink. It was the best chicken I've ever had. And it came right out of my freezer, just thawed it out 24 hours later, boom, make a simple recipe, and this is top quality meat. You want to have the best product. You've got to at home when you're going to be cooking. And so Moik will send it to you in a box. It's, it's frozen, ready to go. You put it right in your freezer, and it's just the most delicious, succulent chicken, steak, pork you've ever had. The, the salmon's incredible, too. These animals are raised outdoors. Their fish swim in the wild and then in the ocean. And moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you'll find prepackaged in the meat site, okay? Join the moink movement today, like I'm in. Go to moinkbox.com slash buck. That's moink, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash buck right now. And listeners to this show get free ground beef for a year. The ground beef is delicious. M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash buck moink box dot com slash buck. Why does a vaccinated person have to wear a mask? Okay, this is something that as we get more information, it's going to be pulling back that you won't have to. But currently, the reason is that when you get vaccinated, you are clearly diminishing dramatically your risk of getting infected. That's one of the things we've got to make sure everybody understands. You dramatically diminish it. However, what happens is that you might get infected and get absolutely no symptoms, not know you're infected, and then inadvertently go into a situation with vulnerable people, and if you don't have a mask, you might inadvertently infect them. Now, there's a small risk of that, but it's there. The other thing is that there may be variants that are circulating. We know New York area has their own variant, a 526. There's a South African variant. Fortunately for us, Chuck, the 117 variant that is dominant in Europe and in UK is right. also now dominant in the United States. Thank goodness the vaccine works very well against that variant. So then why the hell is he bringing up variants? As some justification for continued restrictions after vaccination for individuals. You know, there are variants, but, you know, fortunately, the vaccine works, you know, against the variants, too. Okay, so then why are you bringing up the, oh, just got to throw something in there. Let's let's get really down into this, because this is this is a hill that we need to fight on. We need to dig in on this. Okay, this is 
and I, I'm not even going to get into today. Uh, a lot of you, uh, I understand, have concerns about those at low risk getting vaccinated. You know, should I am opposed to mandatory vaccination, as you know, I'm opposed to vaccine passports and and people are you know, who, who have reached out to me. I always appreciate the feedback I get from this audience because they say, OK, Buck, you say low risk. So so children should children get vaccinated? I say, well, no, of course not. That's that seems crazy. Why would children get vaccinated? They, they clear this virus without even knowing they have it. And they clear it very, very rapidly. And then they're immune. doesn't make any sense. And they don't pass it to adults at any real rate. I mean, it can anything can happen in the world of epidemiology. Right. But we can't base our public health policy on that. So why does the little health Stalinist doctor, Dr. Fashi, why is he making this claim about how uh, the, you know, he's saying we all should get vaccinated? But you still have to obey all the restrictions. You still got to do all the annoying stuff. Why? Oh, because, you know, you, you could still inadvertently as an asymptomatic, you know, you could still. Yeah, but uh, let's let's work this through together. The vaccines we're told are over 90 percent effective by and large. And the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the double shots, they're, they're 94 and above. So that means that of people who were vaccinated in a huge trial of, of over 30,000 people, there, let's say, were 4% of people who got the virus. But remember, uh, 4 or 5%. But remember, the, uh, the numbers here also don't take into account that those people who got it had very mild cases and... It's less likely because viral load really matters. It's less likely they'd even be able to spread it to somebody else because their immune system is very good at handling it. And that's why there were there were, you know, people aren't getting hospitalized. People aren't dying who who get the vaccine in an, in any re, in any real numbers. Right. Something can always happen if you're going to base. This is the fundamental point I want to start with here. If you're going to base health policy. On the outlier situation we're going to live in constant fear and terror if you're going to base health policy on what is theoretically possible and then shut down everyone else like when i say things like vaccinated people can't if, if i say vaccinated people can't really pass or are highly unlikely to pass the virus to anyone else they say oh but it's still possible okay but we're Anything is possible. We're looking at the percentages here. We're looking at the risk factors. But they use the outlier to control you. They use the 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 one in 10,000 chance of something actually happening. A vaccinated person managing to transfer it to somebody. Remember, the vaccinated person has to get infected and give it to someone. And that person has to have a, you know, a severe reaction to it at some, or, or give it to somebody else who does. You start to go down the chain of transmission here. You're talking about I mean, you can do the the some of the odds on this yourself, you know, do a one in a hundred over one in a hundred. You, know, you can do the math. You start to go, OK, we'll get to one in ten thousand, one in a hundred thousand, one in a million. And we're going to live our lives with this nonsense because Fauci doesn't want to give up control. That's what this is really all about. That's what really motivates all of this. It's not that vaccinated people really pose a risk of transmission in a public health context in any meaningful sense. People keep saying, we don't know the numbers. A hundred years of vaccination epidemiology tells us that it is, this is our way out. This is the end. But there are people who don't want it to be the end. 
There are people who go, no, we have the, we need booster shots, and then there's variants, and there's a. Now we're getting into the debate that I knew we were going to head to all along, which is so this never goes away. Their argument that they're making that there's always a chance that there are variants that you'll need boosters is that the these health restrictions are with us forever for the rest of your life whenever the public health bureaucrats decide so that's it and a lot of people are you and i hear that and i mean i want i want to throw up all over my microphone just even saying that because these morons haven't protected us their policies have failed oh that's right look at mississippi and texas Look at the numbers. I really I ask you this. Look at Mississippi and Texas. Look at the numbers and tell me uh, what we're supposed to make of the fact that they've had mask mandates and full reopen. It's not just the mask mandate for all businesses fully open. Lowest covid cases in a year. In a year. Twelve months. Hmm. Look at Michigan. Oh, yeah, with Governor Halfwit. Oh, gosh, you know, I've got a pillow of Fauci on the background. Oh, such a moron. A, a total catastrophe for her state. But here's, here's what she's... This is how pathetic their arguments have gotten. Governor Halfwit, play 11. Well, at the end of the day, this is going to come down to whether or not everyone does their part. Uh, that's the most important thing. This variant, the B117 variant, is what is growing so quickly here in Michigan. We have the second most of it than, I think, right after Florida. At least that was the last data that I saw. Michigan and Florida are not next to each other. But this is the time of the year that snowbirds come home from Florida, where people are going on spring break, and all of these things can contribute to spread. And that's why we're imploring people to take this seriously, mask up, get tested. If you've been around someone who's positive, stay home. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, I'm just going to throw in there, you know, this is when people come back from Florida. Oh, they're so dangerous in Florida. Florida, as a state government, has kicked Michigan and New York and New Jersey's butts when it comes to COVID response. It's not even close. Because remember, it's not just the infection numbers. It's also the, those numbers and then the individual freedoms that are protected and the economy and where all of that stands. And Florida has just put on a clinic for the rest of them. And that's why Governor Ron DeSantis is so they hate him so much because he's proven one, what better governance looks like, what what decent government looks like. During a pandemic, and two, he ha- thanks to him, we have the results to show that Fauciism, lockdown, be terrified, double mask outside, all this stuff, Fauciism is absurd. It's deeply destructive, and it was completely unnecessary. That that mindset did not help us, did not save us, actually made everything worse. Fauciism, like the BLM movement really just makes everything worse for everyone. Here is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis telling it like it is. Again, play six. I think the messaging on this has been horrific. The messaging should be get a vaccine because it's good for you to do it. It works. You're not going to have to be uh, doing anything like abnormal. You can live your life. I mean, that has got to be what the message is. Unfortunately, 
I think the message has been very muddled when you tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, this is important. Go get the vaccine. But then you still got a social day. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't eat in a restaurant. Some of the people are still saying that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's a huge, huge blunder uh, to be able to do it. So the challenge for us is going to be we're going to have vaccine available and you're not going to be able uh, to probably fill up the appointments. And, and I think that that's going to be consistent throughout throughout the country. Um, so you know, my view is, is you know, if, you, if you get a vaccine, the vaccines are effective, you're immune. And so act immune. Uh, if you tell people the opposite, then, gee, you know, why if it's not effective for them and it's not going to change anything, then what's the point of going through it? Here's the fundamental truth, okay? Here, here's the basic reality that we have to remember here. The argument on the one side is vaccines are effective enough. It is safe enough for you to live your life normally when vaccinated. By the way, that should also be true for anybody like me who is immune from having had the disease. But vaccines are safe enough, Meaning that it's you are safe enough to do whatever to stop wearing a mask on the damn treadmill, to stop going outside with your mask on, to stop going to restaurants when you've been vaccinated. That's the argument. The other side says, no, 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 there's still a chance. There's still a chance. There's still a chance. There will always still be a chance. So what they're really arguing for is either the absolute power to decide when that chance is acceptable for us, which is strange because they won't tell us what those numbers are, what that looks like. Or they're advocating for this is now your life. Drive in your car on a beautiful day, put the top down, wear your mask. This is what these psycho libs who are so emotionally damaged, who, who honestly just lack so much of the intestinal fortitude necessary to go through life without being a coward about things. I mean, look, senior citizens have have real concern, real risk from this disease. And I understand that. I'm talking about 25-year-olds watching MSNBC too much who are, oh, I'm doing my part by staying home and ordering Uber Eats. I won't go outside until it's totally safe and Fauci says so. I lived my life exactly as I told you. I traveled. I went to events. You know, I obeyed the rules that I had to. I didn't obey the rules that I didn't. And after 13 months, I finally got COVID and I'm fine and here I am. Never once have been, oh, I can't do that because the COVID's out there. Oh, because I understand what the risk profile is. When I had COVID, yeah, were there times where I thought, wow, I could end up going to the hospital with this, couldn't I? Like, that could happen. Yeah. Wouldn't have changed a thing about how I lived my life the last year. Not one. It's different than when I tell family members of mine who are over 60. It's different from when I tell people, and, you know, restrictions that I had of contact with them at different times, everything. That's different. But that's reasonable. Fauciism at its core is about unreasonable control and unreasonable panic. The obvious question is, why are there any restrictions? They're all because in a certain situation, one can get vaccinated, have no clinical disease at all, but get infected and not even know it and have replication of virus in your nasopharynx and inadvertently transmit it to somebody else who might actually be unvaccinated and get ill. That's the reason why you want to wear a mask. This guy reminds me, I mean, he, he's the worst. The, he is the most loathsome and destructive public health official in, in living memory. He's done horrible things. I mean, because he is, he is the face and the voice 
of lockdown, of all the excessive and contradictory and arbitrary restrictions. I mean, he, he is the guy who has been vocalizing all this. So, yes, I, I detest his ideas. I detest his failure. But he's held up as a hero. In fact, he got promoted by the Biden administration. Oh, it's very, very enraging here. Um, but what he says, it reminds me of that old game. Uh, I think it was called like Mousetrap, where you build this thing where the, the ball goes down the, goes down the slide and it lands on the thing and then it touches the other. It hits a spring, which shoots the foot, which goes over to the, you know, and, and all of a sudden, oh, look, and then the cheese is opened up and the mouse can get to it, right? Oh, you, you could be, so you could be in the, Five percent of people who are vaccinated who don't have any uh, who, who, who get the virus. And then you're also going to be in contact. Half the country's had at least some vaccination at this point. OK, so you're also going to have to be in close contact with somebody who is unvaccinated and they'll have to get the virus. And and transmission of this virus, even at its height, was usually about an R of one, which means you might give it to one other person. And that person then will have a severe reaction to it, which would mean that they're in the, you know, less than less than five percent of people overall who go to the hospital, less than one percent of people who actually die from this. So your odds to start out with are getting to be at about the one in 10,000 range. Right? I mean, your odds of this actually happening are really small, but totally justified in Fauci's mind. If he can make a theoretical case for this. You have to live with this garbage. If you can make a theoretical case for this, people look at you and me strangely. New York has an outdoor mask mandate, but not if you're social distancing. But do you think that people think of it that way? No. You don't wear a mask outside. You're a bad person. You don't care if people die. That's the attitude here. People have been brainwashed. They're wrong. It's sad. And so many of the people in journalism that push this stuff, they're just not as smart as they think they are. They're just not very bright. You know, they checked all the right boxes to go to a decent enough place to get a decent enough degree to degree to work at some kind of uh, known media entity. But they're jackasses. It's very apparent if you listen to them. Um, Fauci also just doesn't give a crap about any of this stuff. Play five. You know, Dana, it is quite frustrating because the fact that one may not want to get vaccinated in this case, a, a disturbingly large proportion of Republicans only actually works against where they want to be. They want to be able to say these restrictions that are put on by public health recommendations are things that they're very concerned about. We're all concerned about that. We, we share that concern. But the way you get rid of those restrictions is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly and as expeditiously as possible, because when that happens, for absolutely certain, you're going to see the level of virus in the community go down and down and down to the point where you would not have to have those public health restrictions. So it's almost paradoxical that on the one hand, they want to be relieved of the restrictions, but on the other hand, they don't want to get vaccinated. It just almost doesn't make any sense. That's because Fauci is a, is a dumbass and doesn't understand that his messaging is hurting the vaccination campaign substantially i know for some of you you keep saying uh gosh buck really doesn't like doesn't like fauci does he and i'm sorry but i i see all the all the frustration and the pain and the downside of his little mandates which are all based on him being so smart and knowing so much more than the rest of us 
And the truth is, it, I, don't, I don't think it's helped us. And I think it's hurt us dramatically. And I think it's hurt a lot of businesses. And it's made people um, more financially stressed out. And, and this affects livelihoods. This affects people's futures. So you also need to be preparing for your own future. As you can tell, the world is very uncertain, especially these days. And so many of you who are just starting out, whether you're buying a home or just starting to have kids, <clears throat> you're building your wealth. You need to secure your family's future. And part of your to-do list has to be establishing a will or trust. I know this might seem like will or trust at this stage of my life. Yeah, you got to do it now. Okay, you've got to make that preparation. And it's easy to do at trustandwill.com. You can set up an estate plan. It's so convenient and secure. I've been at trustwill.com. I've set up my own. It's no problem. Once you do it, you see, oh, okay. So this is just a thing you got to get done. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who would get all your stuff, and plan for future medical care from the comfort of your home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands of dollars, and using a a one-size-fits-all template is not specialized enough. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. Trust and will is the most trusted name in online estate planning. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash buck. Get 10% off plus free shipping of the actual customized legal documents you get from this. Get, that's right. Trustandwill.com slash buck. Go right now. You'll get 10% off the normal fee plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. Trustandwill.com slash buck. And so if you are a Major League Baseball, you're saying you have to move out of Atlanta because they're having voter ID. Well, what about all the other jurisdictions that you're in that have, quote, more restrictive laws? What about the fact that you're doing business with the Communist Party of China? The fact that you've done business with the Castro regime in Cuba? It doesn't make sense. I think corporate America, by trying to genuflect to this wokeness, uh, I think they've gone down a really bad road. They're going to tie themselves in knots trying to to, to please the extreme left. what I've told people is if the left is after you, the minute you buckle, you're just painting a bullseye on your back. They're going to keep coming back and back and back. If you just stand your ground, yeah, they'll they'll complain for a couple of days. Then they'll move on to the next outrage. And so I think some of these corporate CEOs, they need to grow some backbone uh, and they need to be willing to stand up um, and not get pushed in to taking these positions, which is, Maria, as you indicated, it's not based on facts. No, it's it's based on the mob mentality. It's based on the threat of of boycotts that comes from social media that are often not rooted in the reality of what would even be possible through a boycott. But they just they try to get people scared right away. They try to get them to take preemptive action. And beyond that, I think you have seen a lot of more left wing individuals at the very top of some of these powerful corporations. That is happening right now, Um, and that's highly unfortunate. But the politicization of everything, including sports, including who sells you sneakers and and who's going to, you know, deliver basic home goods to your door. This is a, a bad development for the country, and it comes from the left. This is something that we all know culturally, ideologically. This is a left wing thing. They, they believe because politics is, is ultimately their religion. Some of them think that they can do both, but really their God to be a true 
leftist authoritarian today. Your God has to be uh, the state and government power. And that's why it's so important for you to have it at all times. I, I see this going on and, and I'm always thinking about and people ask me constantly, how do we fight back against this? And now my answer has just started to be we fight. How about that? Let, let's start from the simplest possible proposition here that we get in this fight. Say, OK, we're not just going to take this line down. We're not just going to allow these companies to continue to do these things. We're going to say enough is enough. If you break trust with us, if you attack us politically, uh, we will find ways to financially and if we can even politically punish you down the line. I now believe that when that Republicans should start to keep what's effectively a, a corporate enemies list. You know, uh, yeah, you could say, oh, but that's McCarthyism. They're already doing McCarthyism to us. By the way, McCarthy was actually right about a lot. They're doing McCarthyism to us. It, it reminds me a bit of where we were with China, where they said, oh, no, we can't. You can't do, do tar uh, tariffs on China to start a trade war. And then people who actually knew something about global economic trade said, hold on a second, China's already doing all kinds of things against us. It's a one-way trade war right now. So we either sit here and keep suffering in silence or we respond. And that's how we should think of the situation with corporate America and these woke companies. I'm very, very pleased to tell you that uh, Mike Lindell, who's a sponsor, as you know, on the show with MyPillow, they make amazing products, and that's why it's become a, just a, a mega company. But they're, they're under assault by all kinds of left-wing cancel culture loons. And that's why it's so important. I mean, the sponsors on this show, I say this to you all the time. Every time you hear a commercial that's on the Buck Saxton show for a sponsor, they're great products from companies that support the right of this show and people like me to say the truth. I'm not even it's not even about my opinion. I mean, it's on a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. It's just the truth. It's just objective reality conveyed to you by somebody who happens to be a conservative. But increasingly, you can recognize that conservatives are the only people who are willing to tell you the truth about a lot of things in America today. So those companies uh, that stand with us are standing with the truth and you should view them. So you're getting a great product, but you're also voting for uh, for truth and and standing alongside those who have some courage in corporate America. Mike Lindell's launching Frank today, which is a a platform that will actually have free speech for conservatives and allow for discussion about the elections. One of my biggest outrages over the last year from a media perspective is the fact that the, that big tech has been so on board with suppression of discussion about COVID. I mean, I'm arguing policy. I've never once said something that is scientifically untrue or factually wrong. I argue policy, meaning here's a judgment call to be made. They think this is reasonable. I think the following is reasonable. That is the, that is the heart of politics. Trade-offs, judgment, understanding the pluses and the minuses. Don't allow it consensus only Fauciite consensus only about lockdowns yeah like what we see now in texas and mississippi are are proving the real in the real world sense in ways we can all see that lockdowns did not work 
Michigan is locked down. Texas is not. Who's having all the cases right now? Now, you could tell me, oh, but there's so many factors. There's so many variables. Yeah, there are always so many factors and variables. And lockdowns don't change them. They just make things worse. That's what we're actually seeing. But that you're not allowed to say that. You were not allowed to say that because big tech decided that they were they were a Fauciite consensus thug operation, right? They will they will punish you. Shut down your ability to share your thoughts. Shut down your ability to have ideas on this. No more public square. It's shameful what they've done. And people say, oh, Buck, why don't you get off all those platforms? Because that's just unilateral disarmament. Then the only voices you see, then the only news stories, the only editor, we got BuckSexton.com right now. Go check it out. I've got an editorial up on Fauci. I'm making the case. Right. But if I can't push that to you, thankfully, on this show, but also on social media, none of you going to read it. So what's the point of writing it? Right. So please do go to BuckSexton.com. Fauci is the most awful bureaucrat in living memory. Something like that. My, I wrote the title, but I forget exactly what it is now. Um, but, you know, Fauci is the most destructive bureaucrat in living memory. That's what it is on, on BuckSexton.com. Please share it to your pages. You know, I tell you, fight. This means fight. This, this is how you get into it. By taking the opportunities that you have to support the people who are telling the truth, to support their sponsors, we need to, to take a top-down approach to this. That's what the left has done, and it's why these lunatic, lockdown, socialist, identity politics, Marxist maniacs have accrued so much power because they view this as a zero-sum game. They view this as top-down. We want to control the corporations. We want to control the communication nodes. We want to control the academy. We want to control prosecutors' offices. Look at all the Soros funding of district attorneys. They're doing this ever. They are infiltrating every institution of power and influence in the country with their ideology and controlling them. And we're just sitting around saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, I still got to watch CNN and and I got to I don't want to support conservative companies because I'm more used to the other companies. And, you know, yeah, that's why we lose. It's on all of us. It's on all of us. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find out how can I buy sneakers not from Nike? You say, oh, get Adidas. Is Adidas not woke? I don't know. Right. It's hard. I understand that. But there are companies out there and they advertise on this show that are saying, no, we stand with free speech. We stand with people who tell the truth. Are you are you going to them as sponsors? You know, we we really we got to have as conservatives, this whole country, man, we got to have some some tough talk with conservatives way too quick to just be like, oh, I'm just going to order on Amazon and use Uber and then do Google and let my data get tracked and get sold and everything. You know, we all sit around. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not all about once every four years wearing a tri-corner hat and showing up to a protest. And yeah, I did my part. No, you can do your part every day. Every day you, you have many ways to vote and have your voice heard and have an impact on the fight for this country's future in ways that may seem small, may seem even insignificant to you at first, but This show reaches millions of people across the country. That's right. This show reaches millions of people. So if everyone listening does something, you know, this is why this is why we really do have a way forward here. Or we can just leave all collective action or we can leave all concerted political effort to the other side and, you know, get ready for 
open borders and get ready for the you know the, the permanent uh, expansion of uh, the the racial spoils state as the Supreme Court has written about it and get ready for uh, socialism and get ready for defunding police you know and, and then just you know, make make the best use of the time you have left that's where we are now as a country do you care you have options to show you care right now right right this day right this moment by listening to the show you're showing you care of course but there are many other things i'm telling you you can do ron DeSantis knows it everybody knows it the question that remains is will you take action sometimes you hear some truth in unlikely places or places that may surprise you as you know i've i've done uh, i've had a couple of appearances on the bill maher show in the past not easy to be a conservative on that show, not because it's hard to handle the arguments. It's just hard to handle the, the, the jeering, the cheering, the noise from all the left leftists in the audience. It's three on one on the panel. I mean, you know, you, you got to remember the host is going to speak about 30 to 40 percent of the time, maybe 50 percent of the time. And you got three other people. So as the conservative, you're really only going to get about 15 percent of the time to talk, maybe maybe 20, maybe, but probably more like 10. Um, so it's a t- challenging environment, but you got to go into the lines then, as you know, and I'm, I, I, at some point, I'm sure I'll be back in there and I'll, I'll be dropping, dropping the buck bombs all over the place. But occasionally, even leftists or even, uh, even people who are, who are libs uh, speak some sense to their own side. And I, I give credit where it's due. As you know, it's, it's a principle of the show. I give credit where it's due. I don't, I don't do that. Only my team can do good things and only the other team can do bad things. Uh, I don't take that approach. Bill Maher had a little tough, a little tough love to say to his own side. Now, he takes all these cheap shots about Trump and COVID. And so, I mean, anyone who's still talking about Trump and COVID is just out of their minds because Trump isn't president, hasn't been president in months. And it, do, it that just doesn't matter. We're, we're trying to figure it out now. We're trying to figure out COVID now and get out of these stupid mandates and all the mitigation garbage. Uh, but he was willing. I, I will give credit here. Bill Maher is willing to say that libs have lost their minds over this thing. I mean, they they are wrong on the facts on some key things like how dangerous is covid really to individuals who get it by the numbers. Play 10. And we do know conservatives have some loopy ideas about covid like the third of Republicans who believe it couldn't be spread by someone showing no symptoms. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between one and five percent. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? It is a good question. Now put aside the climate change nothing. Bill Bill Maher is a climate change fundamentalist, by the way. He 
he whatever the most extreme views you have of climate change are Bill, Bill Maher is is beyond even what your your run of the mill climate change alarmness says. But just put that aside for for the time being. 50 percent chance of hospitalization. You, you would have to think, do these people do they do they read newspapers? Do they do they actually do they read anything about what's going on? That would be your first impulse, because that's I mean, that's so wildly beyond 50 percent. that He said one to five percent. Yeah, but who he's not talking about senior citizens mostly. He's talking about people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And the chance of them getting hospitalized is like 1%. Okay? It's small. Very small. And that's just hospitalized. That's not dead. And yet leftists believe 50%? No wonder they're so terrified. No wonder they're running around just stifling their own breathing all the time with three masks going, oh, mask. I need to wear masks all the time. Not one mask, three masks, four masks, gas masks, goggles. You know, why stop at two masks? You know that I told you the double masking was coming. And you know that if you listen to this show and I'm on the record predicting it. I wrote about it on, on Twitter. I've, I've been saying I'd been saying it as of last summer, really. And sure enough, that was the next move. You know why? Because they had to create a new narrative because initially it was all we have to do is wear a little cloth, you know, a little cloth kerchief, a little balaclava over your face or, uh, you know, a bandana or whatever. And, oh, you're going to stop this virus in its tracks. Remember that? Yeah. Didn't work. Not even a little bit. Not even close. Mask mandates fail. Now that they get around this by saying that's because people don't do it enough. Really? Spend five minutes walking around the streets of New York City outside and you'll see people are masked all over the place. There are occasional rebels, I guess, like me who don't mask outside. But technically, there is a mask mandate outdoors if you can't social distance, which you know th- these are all laws these are mandates that have judgment built into them that you're not really allowed to exercise because of all the social pressure on you. But um, the left, you have to remember this. It is commonplace for Democrats to wildly exaggerate in their own minds the risk of COVID as a serious disease for themselves. It is very, very common, which is what Bill Maher was talking about here. There's a reason for that. Everything that Fauci and the corporate media has done has been intended to create excessive fear, excessive panic, and excessive regulation. This was all done by design. None of this was just a thing that that happened as a, as a happenstance of media coverage of this issue. They intentionally terrified as many people as they could be well beyond what was rooted in fact and reason, because they wanted to control them. They intentionally terrified people. That's what they were doing. And I would just note that we should all be very, very angry um, over the ramifications this has had for policy. This is misinformation, intentional disinformation to control the public through regulation during a panic and the corporate media is directly responsible for this and democrats are the biggest saps the biggest the biggest fools and buffoons who went along with it i really hope that the economy despite 
Biden's administration and all the socialist nonsense you're hearing from Democrats. He says, I hope the economy starts booming. It could, you know, it could go in a really good direction here. Not because of the people in charge, the decisions they're making, just because of all the cash on the sidelines. And that's going to mean more opportunities to build your business, to hire more people and, and expand, right? If, if we do, I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about the economy, but certainly uh, want to hear that you're able to make the kind of decisions you need for your small business and to help you get going. And it's, and if we're in bad times too, right, you got to have the most efficient setup you possibly can because when running a business, HR issues can kill you. You got those wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and you got all these questions that come up like, I want to terminate an employee. What do I need to do? And can I dock an exempt employee's pay? Uh, what do I do if I have to terminate an employee? Or what do I have to do to terminate one properly? All these, all these questions that come up all the time. Bambi, that's right, Bambi can save you, okay? Bambi allows you to have an HR manager who can craft HR policy, maintain compliance for you, do all this stuff for just $99 a month. That's instead of the HR manager salary. That's an average of about $70,000 a year that a lot of people are going to be paying to help their business. Bambi spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, and it was created specifically for small business. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you want to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. That's right. Bambi.com slash buck. Some big news on the national security front recently with the Biden administration saying they're going to withdraw U.S. troops entirely from Afghanistan. We've also got the country bracing for riots, which I think is a national security concern that's even more imminent. We've got somebody who can weigh in on this from the perspective of a true expert in many ways. Our friend Jack Carr, former Navy SEAL and now best-selling author of the Terminal List series. He's got a new book coming out this week, The Devil's Hand. And Jack's if you like thrillers, uh, Jack Carr is the, he's the guy. He's who you need to be reading now. So get The Devil's Hand coming out this week. Jack, great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's a what a crazy time. I and mean, we thought 2020 was a pivotal year. It turns out that 2021 is not slowing down. Yeah, we're it feels like we're in now the, the third act of the play or the movie where things <sighs> might get really crazy in some ways. So tell me this, uh, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan as somebody who, who served in frontline combat as a Navy SEAL during what we used to refer to. I know we don't anymore as the war on terror or the GWAT, the global war on terror. Uh, do, do you feel like it's time? And I know you're friends with a lot of veterans, of special operations community guys who are still in as well. Do, do they feel like it's time? Well, it's, I mean, we're coming up on the 20 year anniversary of September 11th. And of course, uh, dates are significant, uh, not just the enemy's calendar, but in, in ours as well. And uh, interesting that all this was in play with the previous administration. So, you know, if it work, if it works out, the new administration can take credit. And if not, then they can blame the, uh, the previous one. But that's just how politics works. But, yeah, with 20 years here uh, and shifting goals and, uh, and everything else that's uh, when we look at 
going in there initially to disrupt al-Qaeda operations, destroy al-Qaeda operations. Well, did we do that? And then we have shifting goals to reconstruction and nation building, uh, countering corruption, bribery, extortion, drug trafficking, uh, and then, of course, addressing terrorist sanctuaries in Pakistan and in Iran. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, which of those goals did we did we achieve? Which did we not? And how much longer would we invest America's blood and treasure uh, into these things to uh, achieve some of these other shifting goals like the reconstruction and counter corruption? So it's uh, I would say it is about time to come home, especially because the world has changed in the last 20 years. And what was vitally important in the years leading up to 9-11, namely having a physical location to train and plan, is less important today when you can do such things virtually. So uh, things have shifted. And of course, our senior level military leaders and politicians need to understand the nature of the conflict in which we're engaged, which they did not do uh, going into uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. What are the so, atmospherics uh, you can give us or the, the, the general perception from your, your former uh, brothers in arms and, and either the SEAL teams or just the special operations community in general? Because they they are the the arm of the U.S. military, generally speaking, that would still be involved in the counterterrorism missions inside of Afghanistan. I mean, we haven't been doing large scale conventional military operations in Afghanistan for a while now, but the CT mission, as it's called, still very much ongoing. Are, do they feel like it's also the time or, or are you hearing from them, uh, from from SEALs, from from Delta, from Special Forces, uh, MARSOC? Are, are, are they are they all telling you that they wish that they could stay to just finish up a little bit more? I mean, I, I'm just wondering, you give us a perspective on that. Right. So I'm a few years removed from it. So I'm going to I'm going to take a, a uh, take a swing uh, in that the new guys coming in are worried that they're going to miss it, which was exactly what we thought right after September 11th. Most SEALs and Army Special Forces guys that I knew, if they weren't downrange and then shifting priorities to focus on Afghanistan, they were worried they were going to miss it. And of course, that did not end up being the case. Now, 20 years later, uh, some guys even got out to contract because they were worried that, uh, that they were going to miss it and they could get into it uh, a little faster going the contracting route than they could just waiting for their turn in a platoon or in a troop. Um, so I would venture to guess that some of the older guys who have been downrange over and over and over again uh, might be thinking that, hey, maybe it's time to, uh, to take a breath here and uh, figure out a smarter way to do some of these things. And the newer guys are worried that they're going to miss the fight. Speaking of Jack Carr, he's a New York Times bestselling author of the Terminal List series. The Devil's Hand is his latest novel. It's out this week. Jack's a former Navy SEAL himself and Jack let's let's talk a bit about this man I, I think people especially these days you know they want they want to have content they want to read things that they're learning and that matter for this current era which I know your book deals with a lot of uh, major ongoing national security challenges but people also need a break from you know from COVID and lockdowns and everything else so I, I think fiction plays a particularly important role in keeping us all sane these days tell us a bit about what you deal with in uh, in the devil's hand. Yeah, so it's the fourth one in a series. The first one, uh, the terminal list, which they're making into a, a series for Amazon right now, is uh, was really all about revenge without constraint. And then the second one, True Believer, was a journey of redemption. Third one explored the dark side of man through the dynamic of hunter and hunted and savage son. And this one, The Devil's Hand, I wanted to explore something that I thought about a lot while I was in uniform as a SEAL, what I continue to think about today as an author and a citizen, which is what has the enemy learned by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 years at war? So if I was Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, a super empowered individual, a terrorist organization, what would I have learned by essentially watching the United States play poker, looking at our cards, seeing how we play those cards, and then taking those lessons 
and applying them to future battle plans. So that laid the basis for the devil's hand. And I outlined it back in August of 2019. And the catalyst that moves the plot forward is a bioweapon. And I said I was deep into the research on bioweapon and, uh, and infectious diseases, the, the weaponization of infectious diseases, all last fall in 20, well, 2019. And then, of course, COVID hits. And because the basis of the novel is what the enemy is learning, well, they're for sure learning something from our response to COVID. Then a summer of civil unrest, which actually continues today. Uh, the enemy's not just looking at this with a passing interest. They are taking notes and applying those lessons to future battle plans. Same thing with a very contentious political season and election cycle. Uh, they are looking at this country. They are seeing us uh, divided, seeing these what, what seem to be irreconcilable differences, and they're looking for ways to exploit those, no doubt about it. So you're you're thinking that with this is that people, whether it's we're talking about uh, the, the Kremlin and uh, the Putin regime in Russia, obviously the Chinese Communist Party, our primary near peer threat on economic and national security levels all the way to what? I mean, you know, who, who and how is 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 trying to exploit some of these internal American weaknesses that don't necessarily come to mind right away? Uh, yeah, so those uh, those are obviously the main ones, um, but it's really anybody. It could be a super empowered individual somewhere, a host of different terrorist organizations. But really, what they what what these different countries and terrorist organizations learned from 1979 to 2001 was that proxies work. That they can, particularly with Iran and Hezbollah, and then we have a whole different paradigm from September 11th, from 2001, up to today. So the book really explores, has some characters that have history back in that 79 to 2001 timeframe and, and, and pull those lessons into their attack. And then people who have learned something from 2001 up to today. So the enemy is always learning, always adapting, and typically does so quicker than we do because they're much more agile. We're a gigantic bureaucracy, both in the military and in the, the political field. And the enemy, a lot more agile, and they can adapt a lot quicker than we can typically. So um, so we have some lessons to learn, and that's kind of what we owe, not kind of, that is 100% what we owe the guys who didn't make it home from Iraq and Afghanistan and other battlefields around the world, is to take those lessons and apply them going forward in the form of wisdom, I hope anyway. We're speaking to Jack Carr. He's got a book out this week, The Devil's Hand, the latest in the term List series, best-selling book. You guys will love it. Uh, I actually read Savage Son, Jack. It's fantastic. So I, I oh, really, um, I'm going to get this one too. But I, I do like the uh, the the thriller on uh, on tape, though. You know, when you guys do the the audio books, I was I, I like yes. the audio book version as well. So I probably do that so I can listen to it in the car working out. Um, but before we let you go, did I, I hear you say that you have? Uh, and, and you're doing working on an Amazon series. This is gonna, so we're gonna see this brought to the, uh, well, to our screens, right? We said the big yes, screen, but exactly. to our they're, screens. They're large screens now in a, in a lot of houses. But uh, yeah, an eight part series for Amazon Prime, and Chris Pratt uh, optioned it right out of the gate. Uh, Antoine Fuqua directing. He did Training Day, Tears of the Sun, Magnificent Seven, Equalizer, and uh, they're filming right now in LA. So 350 people have have jobs now because of this project, which is kind of crazy. And I was on set with them all last week, and they're keeping it dark and gritty and violent and primal. And uh, people have seen Chris Pratt and other things like Jurassic World and Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. You're going to be surprised at uh, just how vicious he is in this thing. It's awesome. All right. Well, you know, you let me know if they're looking for a, a an astute. Uh, latte drinking CIA analyst. Uh, I I could do it, man. I could play the part. So you just pass along 
pass along the word. Dude, I'll be I writing sure those will. memos sure while you're here. That's hero. a fantastic character. <laughs> you know? well, that's right. I'll be that guy who's sending along the reports while the other guys actually go out there and kill the bad guys. Uh, but Jack Carr, The Devil's Hand is the book. Uh, Jack, I mean, you're, you're doing such great stuff. Really appreciate you joining. All the best with the book. And we look forward to watching the series as well. Thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks so much. And thank you for always standing so strong for freedom. So I have great respect for Senator Graham, and he and I talked about this very issue many, many times. We just end up with a deeply different view. Uh, at the end of the day, America has the responsibility to do what it needs to do to secure itself from terror, and continued massive troop strength in Afghanistan is not part of that. Uh, there's terror risk in lots of places, in Yemen, in uh, Philippines. The headquarters today for most of the senior leadership of al-Qaeda is now in Tehran, uh, not in Afghanistan. So the world has changed in 20 years. It's time for our soldiers to come back home. I'm pleased that the Biden administration has made this decision. Now the execution matters to get our soldiers out of there in a way that's safe, to execute this in a way that builds on the work that we did with the Afghan National Security Forces these past four years. If we get that right, uh, America will continue to be safe and the risk from a terror attack in Afghanistan will continue to be minimal. Time to come home, Pompeo says. Notice, and I, I point this out because there, there is something that exists on the right among conservatives um, that that you just simply have a much harder time finding among Democrats. And, and that is here is a here's an administration that is the Biden administration is making a decision about troop withdrawal. And you have the former secretary of state under the Trump administration for many years, Mike Pompeo, who I remember I had the, uh, uh, the very fortunate experience of flying down to South America and being uh, being present for for meetings that the secretary of state was having uh, with um, with leaders in El Salvador talking about the border, which I'm going to be going back to our U.S. Mexico border this week, uh, but also in um, Ecuador and in Argentina and Mexico City. So a lot of a lot of travel with. Uh, the Secretary of State on that. It was very interesting, very informative. I think he's an impressive guy. I also think that he's got a future at the national level of Republican politics should he want one. I don't know if he's... I mean, if you're at, you're asking me right now what the what a ticket is that I think I would, I would really stand strongly behind and think would have a great shot in the next election. Um, I mean, DeSantis and Pompeo on a ticket together... I think that's that would be with Trump backing it with Trump saying, guys, I want to I want to use I want to use MAGA for the for the purposes of of assisting and, and building up this ticket. And they will carry they will carry the torch. They will carry on the legacy. You know, I'm a little bit of an older guy now. I want to give it to the, the younger guys to be in the day to day. But I'm going to be in the background. I mean, look at what Obama's accomplished with the Biden administration. Let's just be honest about it. Who's who's really running the most important decision of the Biden administration is not Joe Biden. And I, I could tell you, these are Obama picks, you know, Obama appointees in the uh, Biden administration. And o Obama is still in the quietly in the background, the most powerful decider in American Democrat politics today, even under a Biden administration. I, I firmly believe that. And if you want proof of why that is, here's Joe Biden. Play clip one. I know how proud you are of the people of Japan are. And uh, you've got a Japanese boy coming over here. And guess what? He won the Masters. He won the Masters. He won the green jacket. A quote 
Japanese boy, end quote. Also known as Hideki Matsuyama, who just was a professional golfer who won the most prestigious tournament in all of golf. But that's Joe Biden for you folks. Yeah, you know, send it over, you know, send it over, boy, and whoa. Yeah, this is, this is why, ultimately, we know this is a Trojan horse presidency. It has been all along. And Biden is a puppet for the interests of the left and the Obama administration. President Obama himself is far more in tune with and, and far more the Obama is the spiritual leader of today's Democrat Party. Right. Joe Biden is the figurehead. Joe Biden is kind of like uh, remember when you had Putin wasn't actually really the president of Russia. That was Medvedev. And, and then Obama had the whole discussion, you know, and, and Medvedev said, I will transmit this to Vladimir. Putin, I mean, or Biden rather is like, I will transmit this to Obama. <laughs> that, that's what's really going on. The real decider in the background, I, I, I believe, is Obama. We know they're talking all the time. And the reason you don't hear more reporting about this or more people talking about it is because it's not, well, not what the American voter was sold on. And... It, it, it would play right into what the Republicans have been saying all along, which is that Biden's too old for this. He's a buffoon and that he's just a figurehead. But anyway, back to uh, Pompeo and DeSantis. Um, I think that's I think that's a ticket that just you got two very high IQ, very competent, very capable leaders with tremendous experience and can handle themselves in debate, know the issues backwards and forwards, very well-spoken, and and have the Trump base behind them, and I believe in, invested in their success should they run. And I think that would be, um, that would be, you know, a really strong, really strong ticket. That, that's just my belief. And, oh, and there's one more thing Pompeo threw in the mix here that will be interesting. Play 17. Some people say... One way, it's not a hugely, ultimately uh, consequential way, but one way of really demonstrating it would really hurt the Chinese reputation in the world would be, to, would be for the U.S. to boycott those Olympics next year. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, I think it should start with the United States Olympic Committee making clear they're not going to put our young men and women in the position where they've got to go to a place where if they... Uh, are competing in the games and make a comment that's adverse to the Chinese Communist Party, they could be pulled. They could be arrested. I saw the, the Chinese ambassador Canada last week. Look, the majority of people who go to China don't get arrested, don't get held up. Well, that may be true. I don't think that should give any parent of any athlete any comfort. Boycott the Olympics in Beijing in 2022, Pompeo says. The Biden administration is not going to do that because the corporate interests that donate so much to the Democrat Party like to pretend that principles and human rights and all of those things matter to them, but they don't. They don't really matter to them. Pompeo calling for this. You'll hear more about it. I don't believe the administration will do it. I don't believe the Olympic Committee. I know it's up to the Olympic Committee, but the administration, Biden administration won't support a boycott and the Olympic Committee won't do it. But Pompeo's got a point and I think he's got a path in 2024. It is Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi from National Review joining now to talk about all the news of the day, including the Chauvin trial and expectations and media coverage of it. David, great to have you. Always great to be here. Thanks. I got to tell you, I've been preparing to be horrified at the way that some of the uh, corporate news uh, news folks are, are really, it, it seems to me, just trying to get everybody as as tuned up as possible, get everything as as tense 
as they can before this verdict. I mean, Chris Cuomo going on TV on CNN to say that this won't change until white kids are killed for smoking marijuana um, is is really one of the ugliest and most reckless things I've heard anybody say in TV news in a very long time. What what do you think about what's going on? What, what did you think about that comment? Well, I mean, it's part of a, a broader effort by certain people, activists and people in the media. I mean, he's, he's just a ridiculous human being. Let's just be honest about that. But the thing is that they've created this perception among people and among many probably young black men that they have. I saw someone tweet this out. Maybe it was him about how you have a 50, 50 percent percent chance of getting shot by the police if you're a young black male, which is just outrageous and disgusting because it's not true. It's obviously a very small percentage. I forgot what it is, but it's tiny under 1%, way under 1%. Um, and many white people get shot too by cops, except we don't see it in the news. And I'm not excusing these events. Some of them I think are horrible, frankly, and some of, some of them I think the cops are wrong and sometimes they're not. It's not an ideological thing for me. I mean, I think each case needs to be looked at separately. But the idea that we're convincing people that they're in constant danger from authorities in that way it just it undermines the rule of law it it undermines people's faith in in the nation horrible thing and you know he does it for ratings but a lot of people do it for activist purposes yeah i mean david why then do they take the what do they get i mean what is it with the, the democrat party you've got everything from people who are you know, living in in inner cities in in very uh, you know difficult high crime neighborhoods, all the way up to you know Jeff Bezos at Amazon and and the liberal elites. How have they convinced themselves that this anti cop rhetoric, that this anti cop positioning, is anything other than just reckless? I mean, because they they lie about this all the time. And you brought up the number of people who are shot. I mean, the number of unarmed people across the board in any given year who are shot by police in America. Unarmed, by the way, doesn't always mean that they weren't actually a threat and it wasn't a justified shooting, but it's less than 100 every year. I mean, and the number of unarmed black men who were killed by police in, I think it was 2020, was eight. There are 330 million people in America. There are millions and millions of law enforcement interactions. It feels like part of the propaganda apparatus, whether we're talking about COVID restrictions or talking about law enforcement, is just grotesque misrepresentations of statistics and risk. Yeah. I mean, I think especially risk, I think because of social media highlighting these things and then you have hysteria around them and 24 seven coverage of it, you know, it, it raises people's expectation that there there is a risk. I think getting you have a better chance of getting hit by lightning literally than you do of getting shot by a cop. So but no one's, you know, walks around nervous about lightning all the time. Now, again, that doesn't diminish what what happens in these instances. And again, I think we need to look at those events separately, but you're right. I mean, this, you know, and this kind of like overreaction and again, overreaction to the, you know, supposed numbers makes you, you know, it creates bad policy, it creates bad debates, it's, it, you know, on and on. They do it because I think that a lot of people in this country are simply their religion is part of their religion is to believe that we have we were founded in racism and we're a racist nation, inherently racist. Nothing we can do about it. Even if we're born and we don't say anything racist, we're racist, et cetera, et cetera. And this is part of that. Speaking of David Harsani, senior writer at National Review, can read his latest at NationalReview.com. I mean, David, I almost feel like we. We know what's likely to happen. And maybe if I'm wrong on this, I will be so happy to come on radio and say, hey, they're 
There were some peaceful demonstrations and people had their voices heard and they gathered and that's fine. And, you know, irrespective of what the verdict is, that that's what should happen. But I, I believe that also irrespective of the verdict, um, there is likely there, there are likely to be riots and you'll have, you know, CNN and MSNBC reporters and, and other you know news organizations that are standing in front of, you know, burning, burning, you know, cell phone stores and, and drugstores and everything else. And there'll always be this thing of, well, this is the response of people when they're angry because of systemic racism. And I always wonder, what's the limiting principle of this? I mean, can, can they burn down an entire city because, quote, people are angry and individuals who are at least making six figures? I mean, everyone you see on TV pretty much is making six figures. A lot of them are making millions if we're talking about anchors. They live in safe neighborhoods. They're nowhere near this stuff. And they're saying... Yeah, I guess this is just the way it has to be. I mean, it, it feels it just feels so morally grotesque at this point. Yeah. And it, it, first of all, it's racist to say that this group of people um, are so mad they can't control themselves. They're going to burn down a city. And that's fine. I just don't believe that most African-Americans believe that. And I think that the media, which uh, rationalizes and justifies it and romanticizes it sometimes or doesn't admit that it's, you know, an actual riot and all those things. Is, you know, I'm not saying that it's just, you know, I just think there's a racist component to that. And uh, the limiting principle is when they start burning down CNN's building or throwing stuff at them, then they get, you know, then all of a sudden they write letters about how they're being inhibited from covering things, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, and they, you know, and there's been this thing since uh, last summer where they treat riots as if they're not actual violence. Destroying someone's business is violence. It destroy it can destroy their lives. We're a long piece about this because, you know, when I was, you know, just going back to my own youth and seeing, you know, growing up in New York and seeing people I knew mugged or having their businesses robbed and, and what effect that has, I, you know, so they treat it like, you know, you have insurance or you can rebuild or whatever. It doesn't work that way. This is just and you're doing it in black community, you're destroying your own communities. There's just no excuse for it or yeah, for rationalizing. They, that's a really important point, because I, I get very angry with people who are supposed to be sharing information and and insight even in, in media and who have platforms this oh it's just property and they have insurance uh you know even you know the aoc and very prominent democrat elected officials will echo some of that garbage and it's just so it's so transparently bullcrap and so false david because you see these people and i i, I assure anyone listening that if a riot, you know, a riot came through my neighborhood in June and destroyed businesses on my block. And I know some of those businesses and I know who some of the owners are. And it's not all, you know, a national corporate chain that they're just going to, you know, take this as a loss and the insurance. No, there's some people who were there were there were a few. There was a, a little restaurant on my block. It was a it was an Indian restaurant. And I know it's, it's owned by a family. The place has been struggling during covid. And someone just came along and shattered their windows and kicked in their door. That's I mean, do they have insurance? Maybe. Can they afford the time and the effort and the money to, to replace things that are broken that? No, they can't. But but the Democrats will they'll justify this stuff, this mad babyish behavior. They will just say, oh, yeah, you know, because we're systemically racist. Well, th three things. One, a lot of people who are rioting don't care about the issue anyway. It's just an excuse for them to destroy stuff. That's first of all. But more than that, you know, small businesses, 
the work and sacrifice it takes to do that is it goes way beyond any kind of money that you can put a finger on, right? So um, the years it takes to save, the th- the sacrifices you make with your family, et cetera. But even big corporations, people work, real people work at those places, you know, and they and some people care about their work and they take pride in their work and just destroying the things that they put together or do. It's just it's it's immoral and it's it's just undermines the entire idea of you know property rights, which people think you know some right wing you know talking point, but property rights are an incredibly important way to keep society free. And we when we allow people to destroy them in New York, what you're talking about, I think that time De Blasio pulled back the police and just let people ride. I mean that's insanity, and uh, you know that's the sort of thing that happens in these cities. Speaking of David Harsani, senior writer at nationalreview.com. And, and David, I, I also, I, one part of this that really upsets me is that I believe that after what we saw last summer um, and, and what we saw going on with the BLM movement, and remember we were all, oh, we were having a moral panic about all kinds of statues. And, you know, there were people that wanted to tear down statues of conquistadors and Columbus and Gandhi and, you know, whoever, Churchill, it depends where you are. The statue uh, toppling, you know, iconoclasm spasm that was going on. And and that, that was happening. And unfortunately, Donald Trump lost the election. And whether somebody agrees with that or not, uh, or agrees with that outcome or not, likes that outcome or not, the what I see is that the Democrats feel like they didn't pay a price politically for being the riot party for months. And so I think now they're, they're almost emboldened by, they figure, well, you know, this is like a base turnout thing. You know, it, it, show, it shows that it shows how fired up an activist the left has become, which really worries me. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. I think there's I think many Americans aren't aware of how how many riots there were and to the extent of the damage that happened and what was going on, because a lot of the major media corporations ran stories that sort of diminished the property, the, the property destruction aspect of it. And the, and the thing is, you mentioned the statues. Listen, we can have a debate about statues. I don't, you know, it's not a big issue with me. But the thing is, this: once you start allowing people to t- to destroy property just because they feel like it or they have a mob ginned up to do it, you know, the next thing is we're going to smash a window, and the next thing is we're going to burn down the building. You know, it just keeps accelerating, and that and that's where we are right now. You have. We have a justice system. It doesn't always work correctly, but you have a where you have a place to go to deal with uh, issues <clears throat> that bother you or, or that you think are illegal or that are even, um, you know, when you're talking about a death. Right. But you don't have the right simply to destroy a third person's property simply because it didn't go your way. It doesn't always go your way. And maybe maybe in one of these cases, they overcharged the cop. And that's why they lost. Maybe you should be mad at the AG and elect new leadership in these cities. And I'd mention as well, quickly, that all these cities have Democrats running them for not the past few years, but for literally 50, 60, 70 years. So why aren't you mad at the party that can't run the city correctly, that that hires the police officers and who names the police commissioner? And you don't I don't know. They never take their anger out. I don't know what CVS or Starbucks has to do with any of that. David, I, I also think, though, that the fact that we went through um, and it just I have to remind people of things like this, this movement, whatever you want to call it, right, BLM and, and, the, and the left, they burned down a police station in Minneapolis. They caused billions of dollars of damage to private property. They tried to burn down a, an incredibly historic church right across from the White House. We all remember that. They they tried to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland, Oregon. I mean, you start to get on this list. 
This is all really serious stuff. And yet somehow 60 Minutes uh, is, is, is running. I don't know if you saw this. They're running pieces as of uh, last night about the threat of the Oath Keepers violence, David. That's where we are as a country. I, know. I saw some study that said, you know, like 90 percent of violence is right wing, you know, extremist violence. And, and, and one of the ways they I think they calculate this is if your skin is white, you're involved in some sort of white violence, which is just is ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, these riots were the most ter- Listen, the Capitol riot is what it is. It's it's an it, it was, I think, terrible. And it was an instance of of a mob acting like a mob. But we have many instances of these around the country and no one, no one, you know, Jake Tapper doesn't seem to care or, you know, who constantly talks about the Capitol right or others like him. They treat it as if they're just protests gone a little out of hand, mostly peaceful, you know, is the cliche by now, but still that's how they treat them. I mean, you're, you're talking about real communities with people who aren't as rich as the people in DC. You don't have the kind of police force protecting them as you do in DC. And, uh, and it's terrible for the country, but we keep go- going through it, and we're probably going to go through it a bunch more times coming up, unfortunately. David Arsani of NationalReview.com. Everybody check out his latest there. David, we'll have you back on, and we'll, we'll know how this all goes. Let's, uh, let's all say a prayer. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. Unfortunately, the Democratic Party has changed. The Democratic Party today is radicalized. They, they hate Donald Trump. Now, I understand Donald Trump is a unique character. I understand that his existence and every word he uttered enraged Democrats. But they've emerged from four years of the Trump administration more radical than any majority party in this body ever has been. There are quite a few Democrats who, when they're at home, like to pretend otherwise. Today is a perfect opportunity to demonstrate that that pretense is not mere empty words, but in fact... If you don't support abolishing the police, then don't support abolishing the police. Indeed. Has there ever been a dumber talking point from a major political party or from just uh, the, the media, from the people that weigh in on national politics? Has there ever been a dumber talking point than abolish the police? What do they think the, what do they think the world looks like? What does the country look like? If they abolish police, I think it's so fascinating, too, because I've, I've had this discussion with some leftists and they'll say, well, look at the UK. They have cops that don't have they, they're not armed. There are some police yeah, they're, they're you know, I believe they're called bobbies was at least that's the old the old term for them uh, in the UK. And there are cops that, you know, they carry a, a truncheon or a billy club so that they'll hit you. I mean, they'll actually use force against you. But uh, there are cops. that. But, you know, what happens is that then there's. Also, cops that will get called to the scene in the UK who show up with with bullpup machine guns. So, so trust me, they're armed, right? Like there are cops there, you know, depending on the situation, they're showing up uh, with, with, with a lot of guns. And, you know, different societies have different uh, levels of criminality and different respect for rule of law. I mean, yeah, you know, cops in Japan have a very different relationship with their citizenry than they do in this country. In America, where we have very violent, organized gangs, drug gangs in particular, who are armed to the teeth, where we have drug cartels operating in all U.S. cities and, and including in U.S. towns, where we have all these things happening, the, the idea that you're going to send law enforcement in without the weapons to defend themselves in a country where there are lots of guns in the hands of bad guys is madness. 
So that's not the answer. Right? Disarming cops is not the answer. Defunding cops is so idiotic beyond words. What exactly does police reform mean to leftists? Well, it's kind of like when you talk to a government bureaucrat. How do we fix this thing? Let's hold a meeting. Let's all talk about it. Okay, yeah, but what do you want us to do differently? No, no, no. Let's hold another meeting and let's talk about accountability and metrics. Okay, but what do they do differently now? Because if the answer is always going to be we want cops to be perfect, we're wasting our time. You and I are not perfect. Police are not perfect. But what the left does is take what is aberrant, what is an outlier, whether it's on COVID policy or it's on law enforcement policy, inflate it, make it seem like it's much more likely, much more probable than it is, and then use that as a club to bludgeon opponents in the opposition of their ideas uh, and to pretend that we have no sense, we have no sense of proportionality in our public debates and discussions. That's what we're up against. That's what we really see. And it could very well lead to widespread destruction and riots this week, which is tragic, enraging, and uh, deeply troubling for this country. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, my man. What is up? How was the weekend? How are all the things? Tell me the stuff. Good. I packed a bunch of stuff in boxes. Uh, took my wife to Target. Target? Target. Very fancy, very fancy Target. Yes, did you get some fancy things? I just let her buy whatever she wants. She had a bad week, so I was like, all right, buy some oh. stuff. You just, want a, you just want a happy wife. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, I can be a nice husband every once in a while. Nice. Like I did she get any? Did she get anything particularly interesting? I need to get the snow. The snow princess wants an ice cream maker, which, on the one hand, I feel like is almost a gift for me too because she'll make amazing ice cream. Sure. But on the other hand, is going to make my efforts to uh, shrink the dad belly uh, more more challenging. Well, maybe. Can you imagine if you could make whatever ice cream flavor you wanted at home, Mark? I mean, yeah. I. I think we would have to just like roll you like a beach ball around the apartment because I know that's what would have to happen to me. Yeah, I mean, you could already roll me like a beach ball around the apartment, but still, yeah, that would be terrible. And for you, you even, you can probably make, like, ice cream flavors that you could get in the supermarket with gluten-filled, like, brownie bites you can make it with gluten-free stuff. Yes, exactly. I'd make You make gluten-free pastries, and then you make the ice cream based off of those pastries. I've probably asked this. Your... Your ride or die, all in, you only get one ice cream flavor is? Like the base, it's going to be chocolate. Okay. Yeah. Not including chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. I need something. I I need a specific, because those flavors, I feel like, you know, those are the three most popular flavors. Put that aside. You you have to pick a a flavor that is more ice cream specific. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to go with a flavor from... Coldstone. Have you ever? I assume you've been to Coldstone Creamery before. I've, I've, I'm familiar with it. Yes, uh, they make a chocolate birthday cl- cake flavor. Oof. Amazing. There is a a place downtown in Manhattan. I can't remember the name of it. Where they have a homemade of all the ice creams that I've ever had. I think this may be the best. It is a homemade rice crispy treat marshmallow ice cream. Wow. Which is the best ice cream. See, this is the part of the show where Buck and Mark are hungry, so we start talking about food. 
Um, it's like the best ice cream I've ever had in my life. I don't even know. It's like I I, I can't even describe it accurately on the radio. So it it is to ice cream what moink box is to chicken and to beef and to steak. So we need to get the an best. ice cream sponsor too. Maybe Moink can make us ice cream. That would be cool. Yeah. Ooh, man, an ice cream sponsor. Bacon ice cream? I have to hook you up with some of that. I've never had bacon ice cream. I remember when I was in Portland years ago, before it went completely insane and was trying to just burn itself down, uh, I, I, I had uh, a bacon maple donut with actual chunks of bacon at Voodoo Donut in Portland. And it was, this is when I used to eat gluten too, so it was that long ago. It was amazing. It was amazing. All right, we're just making the audience hungry now. That's what we I do almost every day. Yeah, I mean, probably get to all the latest here. Um, wait, but you don't know where you're moving yet, but you're 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 like pre-moving, basically. Is that it? Yeah, like, we we pretty much have a place, but I'm you know uh, tempering the celebration until all the eyes are dotted and the T's are crossed. You know what I mean? You know, when you are you know, gonna know? Uh, sh- hopefully within the next few weeks. So okay. we should be moving before June, but you never know. That's why we're right. making sure we're packed in advance because packing is the worst. So if you do it slowly, it's not quite as bad. All right. Very nice. Very nice. All righty, everybody. Remember, uh, please go to BuckSexton.com. You can listen to my podcast there. There's actually a player at the top of the page. Subscribe. I can't tell you this enough. Subscribe. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. You can subscribe there. You can subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show Siege of Malta 1 is out. Siege of Malta 2 is imminent. Give me about uh, a week. We're going to have Siege of Malta Part 2, the actual battle. For those of you that like history, if you listen on radio, you don't get the history podcast. You got to subscribe to the podcast, and then you can pick out the history ones. And then you can also listen to the Buck Sexton Show on demand anytime. It's totally free. It's right on your phone. You know, I was just speaking to my uncle over the weekend, and he likes to listen. He used to listen to a station, but now he's like, look, I, I, I listen so much on demand now. I'm so happy that I have that option too. So he often will listen via his smartphone. Uh, he's down in he's down in rural Virginia, so about 30, 30 minutes from uh, from Charlottesville. So anyway, I I I just would love it if you would all subscribe. Please check it out, the Buck Sexton Show. You can uh, Podbean is another. Do you, do you know Podbean producer Mark? I've heard of it. It's actually a pretty, there's actually a pretty big podcast platforms. You can listen on Podbean well, if you like. Nothing already, compares to the iHeartRadio app. It is well, the iHeartRadio app is the best of of all platforms of all kinds because we work for iHeartRadio, so of course it is the best one. But uh, I'm just saying there are, uh, for those who like all alternatives as well. We we just want people listen to the show as many ways as they can. Yes, I'm being facetious. Listen any way you want, as long as you listen to the Buck Sexton show. That's right. And subs- but subscribing is the best. Please subscribe to the show. All right. And if you want to send us for roll call purposes, your thoughts, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And that brings us to Bill, who writes, I just wanted to shoot you and Mark and all the others who work on your show a quick note of appreciation. I'm sure you get a lot of these, but I just want to make sure that you they continue to come in just in case you also get a bunch of horrible emails. Thanks for all you do in researching and disseminating the information every single day. No, Bill, we always we always appreciate every single note that comes in that is people saying they like the show really means a lot. Every single note that comes in and, and tells us that, um, you know, they, they that, that the folks listening to this get something out of the show. Uh, it's greatly appreciate it and we thank you for it so please it's never enough 
you know, because, yeah, occasionally I get the, uh, you know, we get somebody who writes in a little snarky, a little mean or whatever. And, you know, that's one thing. I just, I could never really understand this. I don't know why, I don't know why people write, in, like, take their time to write really nasty and sometimes borderline psychotic things to people in media. That they, It's like, if you don't want to listen to the show, don't listen to the show. There's a million shows. There's literally a million podcasts out there, like actually a million. I'm like, you know, listen to whatever you want. Watch whatever you want. Why write in to be a psycho? But there are people who do it. What do you think that's all about, Producer Mark? People are bored, I guess. I don't know. I, I can't imagine writing into someone I don't like that much on social media. Why? Yeah, like I, I love yeah. telling people. I tell other media people, I'll send friends of mine or just people that I think did a good job on Fox. I'll DM them on Twitter or or send them an email, a quick email, just saying, hey, you just did a great hit, man, really, or, you know, lady, you know, really good work. Um, you know, I, I just, I like to try to spread those uplifting, positive vibes wherever possible. You know, I, I don't reach out to people at CNN. I don't write, you know, to people at CNN and say, why are you destroying America and being so awful? Like, I'll say it on my show, and I'd say it to their face if they want me to, but there's no reason to, there's no reason to harass people. <laughs> there's no reason to... I, I, I never understand. I never understand that. Never understand that. But some it's... people are mean and sound like Muppets, and some people are Buck Sexton. Yeah, that's true. Well, the, yeah, and some people are mean and sound like Muppets who are conservatives, and and who are nasty for no good reason whatsoever, other than I guess some some weird insecurity, especially if they think they're really high level intellectuals. And no, not so much. Yeah, so so you get you get a little bit of that, you know, with uh, with a it's kind of a nasally nasally voice old old grumpy nasally voice um all right let's get to uh david here david writes buck as i listen to a friday show and you talk about court packing electoral college etc the left has declared war on the foundation of the basis this country was founded on the writers of the constitution wanted checks and balances on uh political power for a reason and today's democrat party is that reason we're on a very dangerous precipice of absolute power for the radical progressives. What avenues do patriots have to fight this? Shields high. Uh, well, shields high to you, David. And uh, as for, yeah, look, I mean, the, the court packing, electoral college, these issues that you bring up about which you have serious concerns, uh, I'd say that first and, first and foremost, that they'll, they'll push back on this by saying, well, we're not actually going to do those things. And I don't find that to be a per, I don't find that to be a persuasive uh, argument, but that is what they will say. Oh, we're not actually going to. Well, if you're not going to do it, why talk about it? If you're not going to do it, what's the purpose here of bringing it up past of putting forward legislation, having the administration, having other prominent figures talking about these issues and suggesting that they give some support to it or demanding it or saying that they outright want it? And and there is an absolutism. You can just see it in the eyes and in the words of progressives these days. Uh, there is an absolutism that is motivating them. And, and I believe it's largely uh, pushed on by the fact that they they just think that they can destroy the Republican Party forever. So that's motivating a lot of this. Um, we just we have to stay the course and do our part here. We just have to stay um, true to our principles and, as I said, get in the fight. Who do you listen to? Whose message do you spread, do you share, do you tell people about? 
Yes, of course. Who do you vote for? Who do you what politicians do you donate money to? What what companies do you buy products from? What companies do you support? You know, what do you stand for in your public and your private life? We we've been pushed into a place we're all we're all in the fight, so to speak, whether we want to be or not. The real issue is, the real question is, do we as individuals choose to fight back? Do we stand for something? Garrick, next up here. Hey, Bucket Producer Mark. I wanted to write in for your Shields High podcast as a request. We all hear about people calling one another fascist and how certain people or politicians like our previous president were fascist. But I feel that many things we say over and over again lose meaning like white supremacy, racist, and other ist words. But people don't know, don't want to know, or have forgotten what a fascist is. So my recommendation is to do a Shields High of fascism, the rise and fall of it, and Nazi Germany for the kick-in context of war, as I know it was most prominent there. So people have an actual understanding of fascism and what it really is. Garrick, I appreciate so much you writing in. I hope you listened to last Shields High. Um, we tend to do his, we tend to do battles like uh, warfare stuff in the Shield Side podcast, you know, shield and battle. But that's not to say that your idea is not a very interesting one and and would not be something that I'd be um, certainly interested in, in pursuing at at some level. Uh, I just have to give it a little bit more thought. But a, a history, it would really be a series on fascism. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, it would be quite an it would be quite an undertaking, and that would not be an easy, easy ask. So let's see. Um, let me let me see if I can get something like that done. Next up here, Sam, uh, Freedom Hunt regular checking in. I just want to say how awesome it is to be able to listen to you every day. Have been for almost two years now. As a young 20s conservative from South Carolina, it's nice to hear someone who tells it like it is while also keeping our party in check with criticism when necessary. How far do you think Democrats will go about the remainder of the year in terms of far-left legislation? Can't wait for part two of the Seal Jamalta, Shields High. Sam, thank you so much, man. That is awesome. And please, we need, we need to grow young team buck in South Carolina. So you're a 20-something conservative. Make sure you you text, you know, share the iHeart, Spotify or Apple podcast link of Malta podcast or anything uh, that we're doing here on the show with, with some of your friends. The best way to grow Team Buck is through is through exactly that, getting people to listen uh, who are in your circle of friends and family. So thank you so much for that, Sam. Great to have you uh, in the Freedom Hut here. And as for the remainder of the year in terms of legislation, it's an excellent question. I I think that the Democrats right now are in this testing phase to see where the polls are and see what they can get away with. But they're going to they're going to do something on infrastructure. And I think they're they're going to spend, you know, the two trillion dollars. They're going to pass something on infrastructure. Will they eliminate the filibuster? Will they try to get some kind of a partial amnesty through? It's so tough to say. I don't even think the Democrats know they're remember they are opportunistic with these things. So they're waiting for the timing to align for them as much as anything else. And events will certainly play a role in this. You know, how much political capital the Democrats have to spend in a month or two may be affected by the possible riots that we see here after the Chauvin trial. So there's a lot 
that we have to factor in this. But Sam, I promise you, we'll continue to follow it here closely. And uh, again, honored to have you with us every day here on Team Buck. All right, we're keeping it going with roll call here. Remember, email us, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Please follow me on Facebook and uh, Instagram, just Buck Sexton, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, if you have not already. Uh, we're, we're putting a lot of content up on both of those. And uh, you can even, we'll be putting up my adventure with my Moink roast chicken over the weekend. I made a whole roast chicken. It was amazing. Producer Mark, I, you know, I said I've ta- I'm going to take you and Mrs. Mark out to dinner, which I'm going to do at some point. But I also have to cook for you guys because you'd you'd be surprised. You'd be like, wow, N- you know, his areas of competency go beyond radio to actually decent culinary skills. Yeah, I have to su- give it to you. You sent me the videos. The chicken did look delicious. There we go. Yeah, yeah that was it was quite yummy. Sage. Speaking of cooking, see what I did there? It's an herb. OK, well, well done. Sage writes in. Hey, guys, I just said have to chime in and say dark chocolate has way less sugar and is much healthier for you. My wife is in insanely good shape and chocolate is her one guilty pleasure with snacking. Uh, Well, Sage, what you're saying is true, but I don't know, man. I still like that. I like that fat kid milk chocolate. What can I tell you? (laughs) I like to rub my big belly and eat my milk chocolate. (laughs) I laddie. I never denied that dark chocolate is technically healthier to you it's not as good though it yeah. tastes as good alex writes hey buck i heard on your show this week you'll be in austin after your visit to the border looking for a good place to get drinks and barbecue i think most of the barbecue places have just beer and wine i'd say the best places in downtown are terry black's on the south side of the river and cooper's old time pit on the north side more in the heart of downtown near the bar scene there are plenty of good options, but I think those two places are a couple of classics. The turkey and pork will be good, but as you probably know, the brisket and juicy, spicy link sausage are regional specialties. I know I have a lot going on next weekend, but it'd be cool if it worked out to come by and say hi. Keep us posted on your plans. Alex, all right, I'm going to talk to my squad, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll Saturday we'll get to uh, in Austin for all KLBJ fam. Let me see if I can arrange it, but Terry Black's or uh, Cooper's Old Time Pit, might have to happen this uh, this coming Saturday night in Austin area, folks. So I'll stay tuned. I'll confirm later this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Shields high.